channel was puzzled. All right, guys, here we are. Welcome to the Social Yet Distance Educational Roundtable, Volume 1. My name is Jack. I'm the host today. And other than um, a somewhat lucrative um, and successful career as a corporate sales guy, um, I really have not a whole lot to offer to this. Um, with the exception, I, I do have experience in teaching many things uh, as an addiction counselor, as a healer, as um, a breaker of all things good. Um, you know, so um, I think it's important that those stories are out there, but they're not necessarily a focus for this. What I would like to, I'm just going to lay it out there and you guys run with it. But I think that an introduction from each of you and your, you know, how you started in school, where you ended up, where you are now, and what you see for the future of education. That's basically what we're looking to dive into. And how, of course, the system has morphed and changed and made that your life and your work more, much more difficult these days. So I will just turn the floor over to you guys for a bit and let you go, you know, in whatever order you choose. And uh, let's let's dig into those questions a little bit. Who, whoever I'll, I'll, you made you made me co-host, so I'll start it off and and, and kick it around from here. Um, I, I consider myself the least qualified amongst the educational staffers here. I really only started doing any kind of teaching at all, probably in 2016. I had some experience as a graduate student teaching undergrads back in 2002 and 2003, very briefly. Um, and that was fun. That was, I thought that was the start of me doing a lot more teaching at that time. Uh, and, then, uh, and then academic politics quickly took me out of the equation. Um, and then I attempted to join one of those programs where you can get an accelerated credential and go teach in the inner city. You know, and there were there were like 60, the, the program had 60 positions open and, you know, 1400 people applied for it, you know, and I made, I made the cut down to 200, but I didn't make the cut to 60. Um, and I grew frustrated and I quite thought, oh my God, I'll never be able to be a teacher. And I, I, I regret quitting far too easily back in those days. Um, but when I when I found myself having to step in and conduct workshops for San Francisco Creative Writing in 2016, uh, I found that, oh, maybe I can do this. And then I started doing substitute teaching uh, for another private writing group in Bernal Heights. And that went even better. And I started making some money off of that. And then I started teaching a regular workshop with the Writing Institute and comparing the, write the writing work that I really enjoyed teaching that I was suddenly really enjoying with being a barista. I thought, why not, why not drop the whole barista thing and go into and become a substitute teacher to supplement everything? And that, that was 2018, and that's where I am today now in 2022. Um, and I am, I am committed to the teaching life as a way to supplement my career as an artist, which I don't think is something you'll hear from a lot of people. I think, you know, the folks we have in the roundtable today have got at least more than the average experience of doing both. Uh, but it is a tall order and a thankless road to travel. Um, I, I, and I bet I can get everybody to agree with me on that. What do you, what do you think about that, Jeremy? If I nodded anymore, my head would pop off like a bobblehead. Did you want to? Uh, did you want? Did you want to take over, or shall Kr do her uh, intro? I'll go last. You'll go last. Kr, how did you? Uh, how did? What, how, tell us a little bit about your uh, your teaching career and how you got to where you are today. Oh man, um, you know I graduated with with a BA in philosophy a thousand years ago, and thought I wanted to um, get involved in the music industry. So I took a job at Interscope Records. And after a little less than a year there, alongside some pretty extensive reading about sort of systemic problems that come with, with, a, with a global capitalist system, I somehow ended up deciding, you know, I think I do want to like do my part through literacy, through teaching. And so I 
I ended up going back to school in Long Beach and got my teaching credential in English education with a creative writing emphasis. And I did my student teaching in Long Beach at Mayfair High School. And then I was about this close to taking a job at Bellflower High School when I got a job offer at Galileo High School in San Francisco. And I had wanted to make sure to stay in the Bay Area. So initially I only took that position because of the uh, tool, actually three reasons. I wanted to be in the Bay. They had a phenomenal book room there of books to choose from for the kids. And then um, I could design my own curriculum there. So I took it, that was 04. Um, I was at Gal all the way through up until the pandemic. I've been on a writing sabbatical this year for writing, but I spent all that time at Galileo, which speaks volumes about the school itself. Um, that school's incredible. And while it is, a, I agree, it's a thankless job. I, you know, all the times I've been sort of kudos for the teacher I am, I can count on 11 hands, the amount of teachers at Galileo that fit that description. Um, and it's been interesting watching the school go through the changes we've seen in the Bay Area, especially like the concentration of those changes in San Francisco, because the school is like a microcosm for the systemic problems itself. So my kids, when I began at Galileo, were so different than the kids at the end of my career at Galileo. Um, and by different, I mean socioeconomic, um, cultural, uh, a lot of kids of color have been pushed out of the city. Um, so, you know, a lot, uh, just a, a lot of the things that make people frustrated with San Francisco, you could, you could feel it in the school. Right in the school. And um, yeah, so, I am about to transition to either online teaching or um, juvenile detention center teaching, smaller groups so that I can make writing more of a lifestyle and less grading. I do, for me, I agree with you, but I do, while it was a way to pay bills, it's interesting to me the way the art of teaching has informed the art of writing and vice versa. And every time I take teaching out of my daily life equation, I'm reminded of that. There is a weird way the two interact and my work would be developed through my dynamics with those students. Um, and you miss, you lose that when you, when you stop teaching. Um, yeah, I think that's what's interesting about this group is there's it, it, it clearly I didn't mean to simplify it when I said as a way to make ends meet. I mean, you yeah. you go into you you give up the fully bohemian creative life yeah. to um, to 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 find a way to pay the bills. But um, again, the thing that sort of unifies the people in this room uh, is that we we haven't fully given up the bohemian life. We haven't fully given up pursuing our art. You know that it's it remains it remain it remains on our docket and it and that but that becomes expensive and that takes that takes it takes such a toll on our personal time that it's like we aren't in that way we become unique we become like a unique community that does that and it's you know oh, yeah to piggyback off you what I find fascinating is I didn't realize the way what if you are a practicing artist what you bring to school and yeah. I I recently got a letter of rec for jobs I'm about to apply to. And I, I never really think about that, about who I am in the room. And one of the things this recommender discussed was the way bringing an artist bohemian existence into the classroom does something else for those kids. Um, it, it ceases to be just, you know, some sort of backbone, like curriculum criteria for graduation. And they get, if, if you bring it in, like really bring it in, they get a taste of what it's like to be an artist through words or through the pen, you know. Um, and have you taught online before? Yeah, I did a whole year on online for the pandemic, um, which was near, not nearly as challenging as I thought it would be, though I have zero doubts I wasn't so good at it. I mean, I think those kids had other teachers that were way more tech than me. You know, I'm, I'm anxious to hear Jeremy's thoughts because... You know, well, I, let, me, let, me, let me jump in here, though, um, because KR, you know, after I got to know you, what I started noticing is like 
things that you were posting, some of these good looking young people that you have around you are people you took them on that road with you. And and they were impacted positively by that. And you know, I, there was a teacher in my fifth grade who made a difference in my life. And I think about her almost every day. And so it's it's overwhelming that you have a, such a collection of people that you've touched. What a blessing. I, mean, I didn't know how to teach writing and reading without that personal component. And I don't, and I want to be very clear. I don't think it's a necessary condition to good teaching to get personal. And in fact, I envy teachers that had the capacity to like have those boundaries. I just didn't. I, I had like the story elements are just such a deeply personal breathing thing for me and part of reaching them and meeting them where they were, they were at was giving them myself. And so somehow I ended up with kids like, you know, that were definitely like children to me. Um, it probably explains why I don't have any kids because it was like, that's 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 and that there's a reason that we have the stereotype of the career childless teacher that that that's a real stereotype that really that really exists you know that's and, yeah you're right 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 there's that whole thing not that you wouldn't be a great mom or couldn't be a great mom of course but it's you know but but that that does it takes up energy and it takes up space and I, that thing about boundaries that you're talking about is right on that's that's why i am loath to stop being a substitute because i know if i cross that line into a permanent classroom into or into tenure or whatever you know whether it be with whether it be in it would be easier in it, it would probably be easier in academia if i actually got tenure but who can ever get tenure in academia anymore you know, it's hard enough to get ten. It's hard, it's hard enough to get ten. Oh, I'm coming your way, Jeremy. Believe me, this is leading right to you. But uh, uh, but also, but but in in the public schools, um, if I had a permanent class, those boundaries would be gone. I would be so. I would take that job home with me. It would be with me all night long. It would prevent me from sleeping. But I'd be in that goddamn room the next day, you know, doing everything I could for those kids. As a substitute, I can draw that boundary. I know I can. I can leave it at the door as I go out. And that is why I have been able to make it work for me. Yet, yet there is something about teaching. We, we wouldn't still be doing it if it wasn't working for us, right? So, so Jeremy, as you tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe you can address that a little bit as well. As a, as a writer, it's going to have to be a narrative, so... Um, right. I was thinking in my head where to start. All right, so fourth grade, I tested highly, highly gifted, or third grade. And the first flaw in the system I saw is they're like, oh, you guys are geniuses. But once a week, they took us to this nasty bungalow full of black widows, and they would have us draw mousetraps and run through tires. That was all I did for a year. And I'm like, wow, this is really enriching my brain, okay? And then they bust me to a school in fourth grade, and NASA comes and brings us ice cream, and the Lakers came, and I met, I met like Magic Johnson's teammates. But then the other kids throw bricks at us because it's in a poor neighborhood, and I grew up poor myself, so I'm like, I see what's happening here. We had a computer lab, you know, in the early 80s, because we're the little genius kids, and then I started volunteering with a, with a. I started volunteering first with a school in South Central. My mom and my grandma grew up in South Central. And once you get to South Central, classes are bigger, books are older, equipment's older. The turnover rate for young teachers out of their credentials in California, sorry, KR, is 60% within the first two years. Why are you sorry? Just because, I mean, I don't want to step on other teachers. So I'm going to talk a lot of smack right now, but oh, not about I'm, teachers, no. but about the system. Right, yeah, that's different. Yeah, so I intentionally failed all my classes in ninth grade. I was kicked out of school, and I thought I was sticking it to the man. Of course, nobody cares. Some dumb kids getting bad report cards. But my honors English teacher actually snuck me out to Burger King, and she said, you know, you can do this, right? And I said, I enjoyed my Whopper, and I got a D in her class. And I still think about her all the time. And then high school, I have my ups and downs, all kinds of drama going on, and like 
my mom was sick, my girlfriend was was suicidal, all this crazy stuff going on. And graduation, I graduated with a 2.0. I'm a professor now, it's kind of funny how the journey goes. I hated school for all these reasons. And at graduation, I'm returning my cap and gown, and this little sweaty bat pops out of the bushes, and I'm like, ah! And it was my senior writing professor, and she goes, I've been looking for all you all day. Keep writing. <clears throat> and as Jack said earlier, that's a teacher. I think about her almost every day. And my family never believed in me. They Even when I was a grad student, they thought it was a waste of time. So for a teacher to take me seriously was the first time in my life I thought maybe I should actually do something with my life because someone sees it in me. I don't. So then I go to community college. I change my major nine times which it's, it's probably actually 10, but I didn't know what to do because I love science, I love art, I love design, I love film, and I'm like, what do I do? And then I go to SF State, go Gators, and get my bachelor's, and then I get an MFA in creative writing from CalArts, and then I start teaching, and I've been at community college, another college professor now, it's almost 23 years, and... Um, and, and the discrepancy, to go back to what ha happened before I started talking, is um, Spin Magazine back in the 90s, the music magazine, was like, oh yeah, all the old professors from the 60s are going to retire. Now's the time to get graduate degrees. And they didn't retire. <laughs> so you have way too many people with PhDs starting 20 year plus years ago. Hmm. And statistically, in the 1980s, I think it was 25 to 40 percent of the professors in America were adjuncts. It's now 80. And I'm an adjunct. And people ask me, they go, why are there so many adjuncts? We don't get tenure. We don't get benefits. We're more easily disposable. And it's creeping up. I mean, it, within, you know, 40 years, it's doubled. Mm. That's the system. And so... Like I was telling one of my former students a little bit ago, I had a little Zoom hangout, and I said, you know, in psychology they say you need to know what your core is. I love writing, I love art, I love music, all the stuff I do, but my core is that I went through a lot of stuff as a kid, and I want to help people. So I love as a teacher helping the kid that's in trouble, or they've got stuff going on, or there's something that I see they have potential about. That means so much to me. But the system is trying to derail that more and more. Yeah. It's frustrating. And uh, it, uh, this ties back to what KR was, KR was talking about at the beginning of her career is the is it's it comes down to economics. You know, it's in, in, in this case, in our situation, we call it capitalism, right. whether it is, you know, a, a variation of capitalism that exists that we that we endure. But uh, it's been, I think it's become clear to all of us that our educational system is utterly subject to it. I mean, it was, I thought it was ironic, KR, when you talked about uh, like, well, you know, after a year at Interscope, uh, you know, I saw how shitty capitalism was. So I, so I decided to become a teacher <laughs> and, and it's, and it's kind of like, well, but, but unfortunately the educational system is beholden to that system as much as the recording industry is, the music industry is. And, and it comes back to what Jeremy's talking about. The reason you have so many adjuncts is they function as a permanent, um, they, 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 they function as permanent part-time help. They're less expensive. You know, they are they are part timers or they're interns. They can be cut loose at a moment's notice, or, or work can be taken away from them at a, moment, at a moment's notice. And this has become an acceptable way of running a business in our society today. Uh, the educational system, all of the schools have simply followed suit with what every other industry is doing, um, and so it does become subject to those economics. Corporate um, is the word I use. Well, there's. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh. Go ahead. Um, talking to other professors the last few years, it's corporatization. Yeah. Did, did you know yeah. the president of a college is also its CEO, and it's always been that way? That shocked me. They're double. I think the there, there's also though we're talking about two different layers of education. You know, um, like your description of teaching at college level and and the issues which Paul's discussing, sort of the like economic priorities of of you know the anatomical makeup of a country that like allows for this kind of college education i think there's 
it, it reveals it's the problems reveal themselves as different in a, in high schools and secondary school settings. You know, like while it's ironic, mm. the thought at Interscope is actually not because in high school I can be the sweaty bat. You know, I can be the lady that is like, hey, I see you. You know, and in that sense, you can. I mean, I'm I hate that cliche that you know you can change the system within the system because I, I don't know that I buy into that entirely but if you're given the opportunity like I got tenure my second year um I got observed every other every other year and you you have a criteria you've got to meet in order to stay out of the hot seat but basically you can as a as a high school teacher then it's the opposite problem they're hung you know, they have a shortage of teachers. They have a shortage of good teachers, good being somebody that's willing to be the sweaty bat. Yeah. You know, uh, I love that term, by the way. So I'm going to throw it out constantly. But I mean, college level, it's there's this fight to even have a job. There's this fight to even stay, you know. Relevant. Yeah. And thank you. Thank you for thank you for uh, and that 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 that. that uh, distinguishing that KR because that's absolutely correct the way economics affects the public school system is totally different but we see what we see in public school is that this slow sort of transformation into the into what what we now not so jokingly refer to as the as the class the the school to prison pipeline yes um and that's and that's what it is but but at the same time there is that thing something about teaching works for us because we do come across that one student and it can be at the college level or it can be at the public school level right. you come across those students so you can really see their light when you're working with them and you see the light bulbs go off in their head and there's something like holy crap in that one moment i just made a difference yeah jeremy to interject um they're they're about to start cutting um art teachers in high schools in california now well, they've been doing but, that for years. Yeah, but now, but now, my friends are telling me this is one of the things that I wanted to dive into. At a national level, there's a woman that was appointed by Trump. That's one of the problems, and artists. Mr. Mr. Devos. Yeah, and there's also another woman before her. They deemed uh, art as non-essential. Unbelievable. And and I teach I teach uh, I I've taught at a lot of colleges, but I I prefer community college because I teach a lot of kids that are from East LA or South Central and there's more ways I can help them than a kid at a UC you know what I mean oh, yeah. like they're already in the system where the kid in community college like when I went to community college isn't and one of, one of the problems is it's getting harder for them like there's a bill that was passed I think it's five years ago by one person and she goes, oh, I'm looking at the data. And people that take the earlier classes in community college in math and English take longer to graduate. So she passed a bill called AB 705. And starting right before um, the pandemic, we no longer have entrance tests. There are no basic or intermediate English or math classes. You go right to the higher classes. And one problem is the kids that aren't ready are gonna fail. And then as a teacher, you're teaching people with a whole range of skill levels that shouldn't be in the same room. Welcome to my world. Yeah. yeah. Oh, listen. It's, it's bad, it's bad. Well, well, well. I mean, right now, the model for what you're talking about, Jeremy, Jeremy is going on right there in Mr. Varnell's backyard in the state of Florida. And uh, you want to, is everybody aware of what, how it's going down in Florida right now? It's not. I mean, they're like systemically removing books, you know, making a big deal out of it. And DeSantis is making independent decisions regardless of what the people have voted for. And well, his latest thing, his latest thing has been to uh, to address the teacher shortage in their public schools. He's he's signing up. He's signing up anybody who's got an honorable discharge out of the military now. Yeah, without yeah, a no teaching that, experience. That plan is spreading out all over the the country. There, they're calling. And you got, but, but DeSantis has been really implementing that. Yeah, and well, it's also happening. You know, I the statistic I heard yesterday was in I think it was about four states, mostly Midwest and West, 
where of all the positions for teaching that are left open, even after dramatic calls, the only place that has gotten the show that they needed was the was I believe it's California, and they raised their money, their hiring bonus. Um, but give, that, give or give or take, but you know, but what does that really do? I, I would say that probably that just took one salary and split it amongst five people. Is <laughs> that's right? What how is. much? How how much? How much of an impact does that really make? But and oh, uh, what did you want to say? Yeah, it's it's the, but the no. point is. We've run the teachers away. Now you're surprised that they don't want to work there. Yeah. When yeah. everything's CRT or you know some racist idea that you got in the back of your mind, you know it's just it's sad. Well, oh, Jeremy. Oh, Jer uh, Jeremy, uh, Jeremy had wanted to uh, say oh, something, yeah, and then we'll go to KR. I'm an honorary Canadian, so I'm very polite. Just to throw that out there, so. <laughs> I'll be raising my hand like a student. Um, oh, is that what that is? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a lot of <laughs> friends. I have a lot of friends that teach high school, and I used to, in my in my early career as a professor, during the day I worked as a teacher's aide at a middle school, and once a week I was a professor, and people thought it was weird that I got full benefits at the time, as an aide, even though it only required a high school diploma. And I got none of that as a professor, but the, the, this is a two-parter here. So I'm friends with the English teachers because, of course, they're like this aid has a master's degree. What the hell, you know? And and the science teachers, and they got a four thousand dollar grant. This is you know, probably twelve years ago, whatever. They got a four thousand dollar grant through the state of California to have the students uh, imagine a trip to Mars throughout the term and they have to do the science, the math, they have to write about it. And it was such a cool cross-disciplinary idea. But with the, with the advent of Common Core, there was another Common Core meeting and they immediately took all the funding away and it didn't happen. They needed to what, I'm sorry? They, they, they had to have another meeting for the standardized test and they took that grant away immediately. Right, because the Common Core had to be paid for, and so that comes immediately out of the arts budget. And I have friends that are quitting teaching high school because they said, I can't teach anymore. I just follow their guidelines, and I hate it. Yeah. Yeah. The, bur the burnout factor is real. Yeah. What did you want to say, KR? Well, I, what I was going to say is a digression, but from what just got said, I, you know, one thing I always that just sort of returns to me when I end up in these types of super nourishing conversations about education is like I, you brought up Jeremy earlier, your love for etymology. And if we look at like the origins of public school systems, they were never to liberate, they were never to educate, they were never to uh, revolutionize young people and get them to become artists and leaders. They were always intended to generate factory workers and right. people that succumbed to boxes <coughs> that made money for elite people. They were never anything otherwise. So I think we're, we're in that socket, if you will, or like the myriad of sockets that make, I mean, we, I, I'm a, I got my union shirt on, you know, I, I love and I'm proud to be a union girl. But we, when we look at what are happening with unions right now, I, I really am, I can only speak on um, California unions. It reminds me of like what was going down before the big strike. There's a book called The Big Strike by, by Michael Quinn mm -hmm. and what unions had become that basically made rank and file workers say, F this, I'm watching my language because we're being recorded. I tell my students where we're to be chosen, not resorted to. <laughs> but the big strike, it was like, F this. And they basically, whether they meant to or not, generated their own union again. Now, this is pre-Rose, the pre-New Deal and basically taking unions to the bargaining table and the suit and tie guy, which just destroyed any rank and file anything. But like we look at what's going on. It's a lot of the people don't want to talk about it. Even pro-union teachers are not prepared to admit it. But like everything is this hyper 
bureaucratic negotiation at the cost of us, at the cost of our kids. Yep. Um, and anytime you challenge it, you're called divisive by your own people that you pay dues to. And that was, you know, as a, I had a long history of um, activism in my early years of teacher teaching, like good 12 years, I was very active. And, you know, those, that activity went beyond my union. And often I would try to get union involved And any time there was really any revolutionary call to like, take the classroom into our own hands, take students and parents and communities and rally them for education to be something more than the constraints it's considered divisive it's considered you know there's just too much bureaucracy and it's and i feel like that's a big reason why teachers are getting burned out i don't want to hear when i'm in my room and i am the reason those kids show up to class i the music that i play while they write the the 17 step writing process I generate to get them to write an essay when they can't even say a complete sentence when they walk in the room, you know, like, I don't want to hear about common core. Let me show you that I'm meeting your standards. And I was blessed to be at Galileo and everybody there, every leadership position there basically stayed out of my way, you know, but if you don't do that, you're subjected to all this red tape. You know, I. Yeah, I, 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 from my, my one unique perspective, I did see that that kind of a thing had being a substitute last year, I took on the adventure of being, of taking on a class for a period of six weeks, which is as a substitute, that's the longest I can be in one classroom consecutively is, is six weeks at a time, or 30 days, which plays, which all the holidays and everything plays out over six weeks. Um, and in that, in about halfway through, I began to realize as much as as much as administration and other staff teachers, staff faculty were attempting to support me in the classroom, uh, it became apparent that there was a very strong political divide between the faculty and the administrators. And it was and it was absolutely along what you would call union management lines. Uh, that's what the faculty versus the admin breaks down to in, in the schools. Uh, and it was plain as long as you have that. It's always going to be it's it's going to it's going to be a losing situation. You know what? What did you want to what did you want to say about that, Jeremy? Jump in. It's a two parter again. So I was teaching. We love the two parters. <laughs> Combo platter with some fries on the side. <laughs> part the first part. Um, I was teaching the feminist story, Kate Chopin's story of an hour. It's a brilliant story. <clears throat> and she you know, she only finds herself you know in the middle of the story and all this really cool stuff <coughs> and I'm having dinner with my high school friends in his my high school friend and his wife and she's an honors high school teacher and she goes oh that sounds like great pedagogy wow can you give me all your materials and I said yeah sure and she I see her two weeks later and I go what happened and she said so I'm like hey what do you think about that that one part symbolically and the vice principal walks by and screams warning one makes her leave her classroom period five and says two more things like that and you're fired and there's a 75 point thing that she has to follow in common core that's on all their walls by some russian american pedagogical scientist or whatever and because she asked i mean i i always think of Lisa Simpson and the independent thought button. So because she said, what does that symbolize? She got a warning. That's part one. Part two, on the grapevine, knowing a lot of teachers around the world, this is one I'm really having trouble with. In the next five years, you're going to start seeing universities cutting physics. Like, entire departments are going to start disappearing. And the reason why is Einstein, which sounds bizarre, but the criticism from the the machine at the top is you can't prove quantum physics this isn't chemistry this isn't biology this isn't common core so they're going to start yanking physics and math majors i think that's horrible but it's seen as non-essential because it's not literal see yeah at, it's at, at go the, ahead Jim. At, at the end of my high school 
the big thing then was you need to learn Japanese because the Japanese are going to take over. And nobody I knew went and learned Japanese, and I haven't seen the Japanese invading anywhere at all, ever. So yeah, it almost I, sounds like it's coming from the dog whistle side of the fence, though. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. I mean, obviously. Well, I, think, I think what we're all speaking to, though, is the way education gets to part. I mean, I hate to be like so radical, but like ev the education is two party politicized. And I, I, I emphasize right. the word two party politicized because the difference between human rights politics versus these these spectrums that are destroying the country um in my opinion you know so and that's the main reason that you know paul sees me so pissed off i go through bullshit as an adjunct i mean this isn't what i was gonna say but it's making me all fired up so sorry but even though i say it all mellow because that's how i roll but, but it's really it's really why we brought you on jay <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we share that, so it's all good. <laughs> yeah, so I was a digital creative writing professor for 10 years. Everything was going great. And then last year, we had a department meeting. This is, you know, less than a year ago. And we have a department meeting, and they're going to offer me another class that I'm developing. And I go, ah, cool, and I sign off. And then Sunday, I get, I get, I get fired. <laughs> and here's why I got fired the the head of the university's uh, assistant had a secret meeting that even the faculty chairs couldn't go to and they decided because they were advertising it was all on campus because i was teaching remotely that i was fired and they even sent me a thing saying burn all files i mean no joke what wait they sent you the burn all files yeah burn all files like like i'm a criminal but like 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 Re, 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 get rid of any evidence that this was a that this was originally yeah. a plan that they had. Burn all files, delete all emails, eliminate any servers you've used. I was like, Jesus Christ, this is like CIA stuff. Re remove everything that basically would be able to let you sue them is really yeah. what that is. Like, that is, yeah, California is so litigious, so they're worried about that. Wow. Yeah. And as on and as on and and and, and particularly since you're an adjunct because. Uh, an adjunct has got an adjunct is somebody who has nothing to lose and 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 would be encouraged you know would not it wouldn't be surprising if somebody from the adjunct ranks decided to become litigious because you have to because at some point you know you do have to draw a line and fight for yourself and fight fight for your livelihood you know yeah and then the other thing is so usc this is one of the things i actually bring into my lectures to kind of like i don't care if you want to call me woke i feel like i need to um USC has uh, uh, Bella Hadid's dad, I think it is. So they're building luxury condos you can live in. Uh, UCLA built a $3 million climbing wall and had an amazing yeah. sushi restaurant. And, and uh, a university in Vancouver, Canada has, a, the world, as far as I know, the, the first 24-hour uh, dorm cafeteria. But they're all obviously marketing things to allow how much they cost. I went to CalArts for grad school. I'm, I'm a little old, so it was, you know, over 20 years ago now. The cost of the tuition's now doubled. Yeah. Years. So you, you're going to get a bachelor's degree in art, and you're going to owe what used to be the cost of medical school. That is ridiculous. And I think that kind of illustrates, like, the frustration and the despair that we all start to feel when we start to look at, like, what is what does the future look like? We want to believe, and things are getting better. But as uh, uh, right. if economic pressure does nothing but increase, right. how can it possibly get better? Right. Right. What do we do? What are the what are the options? For me, you know, it became clear that I wasn't, I didn't have, I didn't have the heart to fight for academic tenure. And, um, and I, you know, and I slowly found that, but, but if I wanted to teach the work that I love, if I wanted to teach literature, you know, I'm not going to get a whole lot of opportunities to do that in the public school system. And I'm not going to give up that work. But at the same time, I realized it wasn't going to be in academia, it was going to be in private writing schools, 
which, and now I've been with the Creative Writing Institute in what capacity or another for five years or six years now, you know, so it's, uh, you know, private is, is one is one thing, but if, um, what, I don't know, what are some options you guys see out there? Are, is there anything besides, besides having to go private or having to go indie can I, underground? Can I, can I vent about one more thing? <laughs> sure, no problem. Thank you. Um, and then there's a story I wanted to tell about how I kind of troll from the inside a little bit. Um, <laughs> you you read articles and they're like this school has incredibly healthy food they have amazing options for the kids if you ever look further it's because the parents put in money the districts don't have that kind of money yeah. and it's it's classic economic disparity um, but what I was going to say is that I have this approved by the chair but my way of sticking it to the man is I go, hey, I'm an English professor, and I asked my class the first week, like I just finished a critical thinking class last week, and I go, hey, is this history? And they go, no. I go, is this math? And they go, no. I go, what's the point of a final then? You know, I'm teaching you, I'm helping you think, I'm helping you express yourself, I'm helping you structure the architecture of your language to get your mind on paper. So here's what my, my final sometimes is. They have to, an and they do have to analyze, which is why it's legit, but they have to analyze the, the motivation be behind the, the National Skunk Championships. That's my point. But behind, behind the what? What was that? The National Skunk Championships. I, can I just jump in real sec one sec? Because I think it's important to say, I, and it reminds me of the old days uh, being an activist. The, the districts don't have money. I just... If you look at, I know. At the top, right? I'm sorry. Or they, or they do, but it's not disseminated down. But yeah, go that's ahead. right. So that's an important yeah. distinction. It's like with property taxes the way they are, with the lottery yeah. income, there the money is there, and and we and we don't talk about it enough. And there was an era we did when we watched, you know, Newsom's first term. Like, mm -hmm. so, I mean, basically what I. San Francisco, how it exists right now, one thing that don't get talked about enough is like how we've gotten here. And the budget cuts to education, to social services, to mentally, to mental health places, to shelters, to drug treatment centers, they've been slashed progressively for the last 15 years. Yep. And where does the money go, you know? And no, and like, we're so busy fighting off people like Trump and rightly so, that we don't get a chance to fight off what I'm sorry, but our corrupt democratic leadership, you know, um, it doesn't get talked about enough. I'm tired of being called divisive when I bring it up, you know, because the money's there. We have plenty of money. We don't, we, it's, it, it, we just don't get it. We don't receive it. And that's why, and that's why it's fruitless to make it a partisan issue because the machine's broken on both sides of the aisle. Yeah. Um, and and the, the, the corporate feeding the corporate feeding trough is supplying both sides of the aisle. And the crazy thing is, I guess I'm a masochist because I sometimes go, oh, I'll Google that. And it's just like getting the biggest beat down of my life. And I was like, <laughs> oh, how much does a high school, how much, how much does a college uh, football coach make? Oh, up to $3 million. Oh, how much does a school president make? Oh, up to half a million dollars. And then eighty percent of us are adjuncts, and right. I, and you've got I, no benefits. You've got you've got no benefits. You've got no medical. You've got you know nothing to go on. You're because you are because you're because you're 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 basically temps. That's what adjuncts are: yeah. overglorified temps. Yeah, and and our workloads are lower because we're adjuncts. So when I do my taxes, I'm almost poverty level. I've always been that way. Right. And meanwhile, meanwhile, the coach makes three million dollars for a team that's like you know, one in 50 or whatever. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, but they're getting great TV coverage. Yeah, or, or here's a fun one. Let me throw out one more zinger. So when they when when we had to jump online because of COVID, the Cal States and the community colleges, we jumped on and it was an awkward transition, but the UCs waited another month and I saw a leaked memo from the, um, I forget their name, the person that's the, that runs the UC system, you know why they waited another month? They admitted this in the, in the document that got leaked. 
because they had a couple more at Berkeley and UCLA football games to make money on. So let's get a bunch of students sick with a potentially deadly disease to eke out a little bit more money. Yeah, that's great. Yep, that's how it yep. works on the top. Well, because the people who are running, the, the administrators who are running the ship basically have to be, you know, all feel the pressure to always be finding those revenue streams. Yeah. And they're and they're and, and it's it's a lot easier it's it's easier to risk people's livelihoods and well being when you can hide it behind numbers on paper. Yeah. And it's the it's the you know, it's the Adolf Eichmannization of our educational system. And and people go people go people um all right, my my last well probably not, but my another <laughs> thing that really another thing that really frustrates me is people kind of crap i almost said a bad word people kind of poop on us in community college oh that's just community college that's high school ashtrays blah 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 and then people tell me and some of them should really know better and they go well you know i mean it's not like you're teaching at harvard i'm sure it's better at harvard well my reply to that is the minute that covid led to a lockdown harvard fired all of its adjuncts it's the worst model you could you could think of. So, which which kind of goes to prove they don't really know what they're talking about half the time. No, yeah. no. I mean, most people I talk to don't know what they're talking about. You know, <laughs> about when it comes to education, they don't. You know, um, right. like, and and what they do know is grounded in back to this two party incarceration. What they see in their news bins based on you know whatever their priorities are i mean i don't i don't ever have a conversation with anybody that's not a teacher in some kind of way where they have an understanding of the degradation you know and i don't think you can be a teacher in this society whether it be at the academic or public school level and regardless you can't be a teacher in this setup and not understand that we have a highly structured what what is a caste system yeah. essentially it's so clear now that we have a caste system and we're so we're so you know the, the the great the great american exceptionalism always wants to point towards our classlessness but we have we are absolutely class divided as oh, as yeah. much as we have ever been i would have to say back to jeremy's point about that teacher who is teaching story of an hour you know it, rem it reminded me too the way as teachers we have to stay a student and connecting to other educators and hearing their stories. Because I've been a little spoiled at Galileo. Like, I've been able to design my own curriculum. And as long as my attendance stays high and the kids test well, I'm left alone. Conversely, I have a friend that teaches at Huntington Beach High School. And Jeremy, you're down here. You, you're, I'm sure you're familiar with Huntington Beach. I had to grow up there when I lived with my dad. Um, for however bad it was then, it's on a whole other level of of right wing now. I mean, it's, it's like viciously Trumpian, you know, and she brought to, she's extraordinary. And she brought to the classroom, Amanda Gorman's inauguration poem to have the kids read through. And given her level of craft, her level of knowledge, her connections with students, I mean, this teacher I know is extraordinary. And she got like threatening emails from parents about that poem and about having the kids work on that poem. Um, like threatening to her, like personally threatening emails about using that poem in the class. Um, and when I heard that, I was mind blown. And I, it was a humbling moment for me to remember that, you know, Bay Area, we're kind of lucky we're able to, for whatever corruption's going on there, and there's a lot of corruption, like you're able to get in the class and, and, and teach Malcolm X. You're able to teach people that get kids to think beyond the limitations, you know? Um, but I was just mind blown by that. I was like, what? She's like, oh yeah, I I, I got threatening emails. Cause I- well, It's nice to be able to get political cause I tend to avoid it in the classroom cause whatever, but. Have you seen there? There's a there's an ultra conservative hit list of liberal professors, and two of my friends are on that list. 
I, yeah, I don't even think of it as getting political. I think when I teach those things, I think of it as getting human. Yeah. Right. You know? And if you, if people want to call it political, they can, they can go stay trapped. You know, I, I'm a lot like you. If people bring up politics in class, I think the entire system is broken. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. I'm not an independent. The entire thing is like an old broken, uh, ferris wheel that needs to be you know rebuilt or thrown away and it drives me nuts but but um the the hit list one of my friends he's an art professor and it's not even his politics it's because he's conceptually wacky and so he's on a hit list where they're going to try and get him fired what do you mean by conceptually wacky well he's con he's a controversial figure he made fox news and i can see both sides i guess but he, but he's 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 a he was on fox news but he's a provocateur he tries to piss people off he gave a final naked but it was optional and and i get why that pissed people off and he's famous in certain circles because they created a gps project for for illegal migrants to not die in the desert so they they, they left barrels of water and instructions on how to make it to safety which is the part of him I like. The naked part's, you know, goofy, but but because that's seen as a threat, they're trying to destroy him. And it's a national registry and it's growing. I mean, that's just kind of scary. But hey, you know, it's if you the 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 problem is is if you it, I think it behooves us as all as teachers to remember that it's always political, even if you're trying to. And I understand. The strategy of downplaying the political side of it, but you always have to have it in your awareness that it is that it is a it is, it is a because if you because you may not take an interest in politics, but that doesn't mean politics won't take an interest in you just as you've well, just as you've demonstrated. I, I, I didn't want to say it, but I guess I'll have to say it. We're encouraged not to. Of course. We're oh, of course. Never, there. never talk politics. Never talk religion. But then we're, this is something I was talking about earlier we're actually encouraged to help students emotionally, but then we're also told not to. We're told well, to make it easier and we're told not to. Be available, be there for them, be, 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 be available and there for them, but at the same time, don't, because we don't want to be subject to lawsuits put it, put if something inappropriate that. happens. But, but well, there's also though, like, duality. there's also though, we're seeing a sort of fight back. I mean, if you look at it, the, sort of educate like what is being proposed to teach in the classroom when it becomes true actual what took place history it gets called political yep. um and there's a, a there is a narrative being framed to get the public to believe that's not true it's just left politics and if we can't distinguish between what is a narrative versus what is education getting better people outside definitely won't either you know um and that's on us that's on us to like be the grassroots that says hey hey it's not political to revise what i teach in my classroom so that it's fair to everyone that experienced this country and not just a certain group you know um and those are the things that I that I take on when people tell me don't get political or don't get, really? you know, oh that's political, you know. I I mean I have this conversation with family. It's like people are so scared to have those conversations, especially right now, you know. I and I think it's our job to make sure we have those conversations. So I I throw in um, I throw in Plato's allegory of the cave mm -hmm. every semester, but for exactly what you're saying is my favorite part is is in the intro when he goes if you only follow what your eyes are seeing you're lied to you have to distrust what your eyes see to truly see mm -hmm. that's so true there's so many disinformation and ways to not do certain things and one of the things that's a a side vent since i see i have four minutes left another thing that really makes me feel bad for the students, especially in community colleges, you go on YouTube and there's a bunch of videos with 100,000 views. Don't do this major. Don't do this career. 
you won't get optimal results. Ouch. That is so absurd. And I told my students before, because some of them, they're like, oh, yeah, I really want to be an artist, or, oh, I really want to be a dancer, and I danced a lot in high school, but I, I, need, I need stability, so I'm a business major. And I have to bite my tongue a little bit because of their parents, because we do have parents that complain at the college level, too, now. But that's when I bring up the allegory of the cave, and I go, I go, yeah, but let me tell you a story. What percentage of people that get creative writing degrees don't make it? It's always been 90%. What percentage of people that graduate art school don't make it? It's 90%. What percentage of young businesses fail? 90%. What percentage of young publications fail? 90%. It's the same thing. If you have any job and you're a human being, not, not a monster, you want to take pride in your work, everything's competitive. I hate mm -hmm. seeing them let go of something I can tell they're good at and they're passionate about. It goes back to what we were talking about, like the function of education. And there's unfortunately this undertone of believing that education is how are you going to participate in the system as opposed to educate to nourish your passion. Passion. Yeah, yeah. that's becoming the older model now. So now Awesome, awesome discussion, guys. I love, I yeah, love. I, I think it's been so uh, very enlightening, very enlightening indeed. And I really want to thank you all personally for being here. Um, I thank you for having us, Jack. Yeah. I, ne I needed you to kick me in the ass to do what I need to do for myself. So thanks for that. Um, and uh there will be a part two uh, with people on the other side of the water. Um, I don't know when yet, but I will keep you all involved. And that way, if you want to be a part of, um, it will be predominantly UK, Ireland, um, Iran, Wow, I think Pakistan. And, you know, all of this rose from my discussion with Fran we've been having for years and years. And, and my take always was that the way our education systems operated and the requirements they had to succeed were always strict, a little stricter than ours. And you had certain things you had to do. And they were serious about it. And so there was a lot of literature and poetry and things that I never saw in school. That doesn't mean it wasn't everywhere. I lived in Georgia. You know, it was, <laughs> I was talking before you guys got here. We had in fifth grade every year, every student had Georgia history, which is, the great wash, whitewashing of Georgia, you know, and I, you know, the lessons that came just from understanding that have been infinite. And to see where that was to what, you know, what Fran has become with her education, um, it just offers a lot of inspiration to the people that she educates as well. So thanks for uh, kicking this off, and uh, I would welcome you to take part anytime there's another event. Please do keep us posted, sir. Yeah, please. All right. Any final thoughts from anybody? I'm just grateful to be invited and to, you know, listen to Paul and Jeremy and swap in info. It's cool to hear a college, uh, community college perspective right now, you know. And, and my daughter is going to community college because for because I, because we're well aware of the stigma. But it's community colleges because it was, for a long time was the self-publishing of academia, right? It's just right. like it's like the stigma that goes along with it. But there, but just like the stigma of self-publishing in in literature has gone away, the stigma of community college has gone away as well. Because now when you look at it and look how you know how large, how higher education looks at community college graduates, it's a it's the practical choice. And yeah. I'm. You know, I'm I'm plunging into it. So, you know, if we can if we can work towards if we can team together and get something, 
you know, find those models that are more, as you say, community-based, more community-friendly. That's what we have to advocate for. And there's one last thing. Well, the, the, whole, the whole mission was social distance is to carry a positive message related to literature and the arts to the kids. How yeah. we, what was that? What was that? How Jer we, Jeremy was going to say something though. Yeah, Jeremy. Well, it's not positive, so I feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I knew that was going to happen. I knew I was like, uh oh. <laughs> I just, I just on the wrong side of the freeway there. Um, I can find a positive spin, I guess. But so, um, so Cal Arts, where I went to grad school, and my my mentor hasn't said it since but it became 120,000 a year with housing and he admitted to me he goes the quality of the students um, their creativity has decreased yeah and, and a lot of really creative normal people not, nothing wrong with being rich don't get me wrong but a lot of amazing students now have, a, have bless you now have a paywall and that's really unfortunate. But I guess here's the here's the unicorn at the end of that. So the nice thing about teaching for so long, um, I've had students like I had a student at the first community college I was at, and he then ended up getting a full scholarship for his teaching credential at Berkeley, and he's now a teacher in the Bay Area. You get these amazing success stories, and that's one of the best things about the job. Exactly. I have a positive spin on that. Yay. I used to tell my students, you know, they stress out about getting into UC something. And it wasn't all my kids. It was um, certain communities of kids that culturally there was so much pressure put on them. They, to, you know, my brother got into UCLA. I need to get into UC mm -hmm. Berkeley, whatever. And I used to tell them, you know, I did, a, I did a year scholar thing at Oxford through USF and they wouldn't have paid me any mind had it not been a Jesuit place. And, mm. and I'm so proud, you know, Oxford, Oxford, ooh, ooh, Oxford. And when it came time to like apply for positions to anything, no one cares. They're like, do you have a degree? Yeah. Yes or no? And is the answer yes? Okay. It's like, I went to Oxford. Okay, that's nice. Wow, neat. Anyway, moving on. What are your, you know, and I used to tell them like the best out of all the different schools I've attended, the best education I got was at Cal State Long Beach because you see everything, it's research-based schools. Teachers aren't there to teach. They're there for some other reason. And then you have these TAs teach the classes. They don't know who you are. So calm down. Like, where do you want to go that will nourish your day-to-day? -day? Because I promise you, at the end of the day, no one cares where you went to college. They just want to know you have received your degree in something, you know. Not down, not down here in the ninety-eight percent anyway. You know, it's it's really it's really the college degree as you you know, you know. I mean, that's one of the one of the things we hear, right? Well, like, well, you can't you know you can you can't secure an income with a college degree. Yeah, but try to secure an income without one. It's right. it gets you know that's that's the that's the flip side of that. And again, and it is, it is just so matter as long as it's accredited, certified, that really is, again, at the 98% level, that's all they care about is that it's the real deal. If you're, a, if, if, if you're hung up on the name of your college and what it means to people you're prospectively working for, you might not want to work for those people anyway, if you've got any kind of, you know, class or soul. But, you know, maybe, maybe next time we can bring Dr. Locke on to trash talk Oxford for you there. <laughs> Yeah. I can trash talk Oxford. I have some ex I have some traumatic Oxford stories. Well, she is landing there, I believe it's the first of September, uh, for a six month something. I don't know what. Uh, she's not I thought she was at Cambridge and not Oxford though. Uh, yeah, Cambridge. I think she is. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm sure I'm sure she can discuss it. You know, I'm sure she knows it better than we do. Oh, way better than <laughs> way better than me and you do and can, can I pop probably in better than everybody in this room put together <laughs> can i sneak in one more positive yeah sure so people don't know this if you have a a, a more practical skill and a bachelor's degree you can teach community college if you have five years experience everyone will tell you you need a master's in those cases you don't and every time you look at a UC 
to apply to teach it says PhD required I got hired I, I have an MFA and the reason they hired me is because I had a lot of experience mm -hmm. which I, I think is good for people to know it's like those barriers aren't as you know brick solid as they appear not always that is positive yeah. gotta read we all got to read between the cliches All right, you guys, thank you so much. Thanks, yeah, everybody here thanks today. Everybody. Thanks, everybody. And if you have any additional input later, feel free to send me a little message. Any idea Any idea when we're going to go uh, public with this one, Jack? Uh, this one, I, I'm really going to take my time. I, I need a day off. Um, I know that sounds crazy, um, but I do. And um, I know you're working hard. I don't know, you know, I don't know actually when. Um, okay. I keep us keep keep us posted on the future roundtables, though, for sure. I have some stuff coming up, too, um, some book releases and things like that <laughs> that we can talk about at a different time. Right on, dude. Thank you awesome, so much. Man. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you all very much. Jeremy, it's awesome to meet you, my friend. You too. You too. And uh, consider me your friend now. So, Yay. hook up however you like. I'm all over the place. And nice to meet you, Kr. Also. Nice to meet you too, Jeremy. Yeah, let's uh, find each other on the social media waves and add. On the face crack. On the face plant. Oh yeah, that's the one. All I right, like, you guys. I like face right. crack. <laughs> much peace and much love. Bye, everybody. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.